we're, we're taking advantage of this time leading up to Easter, uh, which is in just a few weeks and always a, a, a very important, special day for us, uh, for believers across the world. And uh, so we're, we're taking advantage of this time leading up to it, and, and we're talking about the, the significance and the importance of what motivates us to be who it is that we're called to be, to do what it is that we're called to do. There is a certain type of fuel that we're designed to, to run on. To, to be fueled by, to, that, that's supposed to propel us. Uh, there's a certain type of fuel that works. Um, I borrowed my uncle's pickup truck when I was moving here uh, over a decade ago, and uh, his pickup truck is uh, a diesel. And so uh, I, I was driving around and, and kind of uh, doing some, some things with it, and I thought I should probably put gas in this truck. Uh, and I pulled right up to the old uh, unleaded uh, pump, and some of you are grimacing at me right now, and <laughs> you're way disappointed in me, and I began to put unleaded fuel in a diesel truck, and, uh, and this might be the first time my uncle ever heard about this watching this uh, online, so, uh, but I, 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 it didn't take me long. Uh, I might have put maybe a gallon, half gallon in there, I don't know. Uh, and I was like, oh, wait. <laughs> and so I had to pull around to the old diesel pump. And so uh, we're, we're designed to run on a certain type of fuel, and other fuels just won't do. And what we're designed to be propelled by, fueled by, is the good news of what Christ has done for us. And so we're, we're taking some time and talking about what that means and what that looks like practically what that's about. And so um, we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians 13. I didn't mean for this to be a series that is based in 1 Corinthians 13. We just, I, we just happen to be there and, uh, and it's working out for us. And so uh, 1 Corinthians 13, if you want to turn there, uh, it's the chapter, O Love, and uh, it, it's a beautiful uh, chapter. It's a beautiful description of God's love for us. And, and uh, if you want to turn there, we're going we're gonna to read uh, part of that today. Uh, but before we do, uh, there's, a, there's a, a lead-in that maybe we don't talk about as much, but there's a great sentence that leads into this chapter. So the very last verse in chapter 12, the Apostle Paul sets up this entire chapter. And so uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 31 says, I will show you a still more excellent way. I will show you a still more excellent way. And, uh, and, and what he talked about leading up to that statement and transitioning to chapter 13, uh, he discusses, talks about spiritual gifts and uh, how each of us are designed uniquely and, uh, and we have specific gifts that we are meant to utilize to contribute to the whole of the body of Christ, the family of faith. We're meant to be, uh, Christianity is not a solo sport. We're designed to be interconnected, to be in community, in family with each other. And so, and these gifts are meant to benefit and build up others within the community of faith. It's also meant to be the way that God allows us to benefit our community outside of our family of faith, uh, where we are, um, where we go to work, where we work, where we go to school, um, everywhere we go and everything that we do. It's a, it's a way that we are able to contribute to other people, and so he talks about the value of those. He, he doesn't dismiss them. He doesn't 
uh, diminish them. He talks about them with reverence and importance, and he's talking about the gifts that we have. Uh, But he crescendos with this, with all those things in mind, with all the ways that we're uniquely gifted. He says, I will show you still an even more excellent way. Uh, Those are great, but let let me really double down on what's really, really important. And, uh, and then he goes into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I could just read the first three verses real quick. We've been reading this for the last couple of weeks. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, I know all mysteries, all knowledge. Uh, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions to feed the poor, if I surrender my body to be burned, but I don't have love, it profits me nothing. Uh, what's interesting about this, this, these verses and the lead-in to these verses is Paul sets it up, the Apostle Paul sets it up as if he's going to describe something that we do. He said, let me, I will show you a still more excellent way. Let me, let me really emphasize the way that we're meant to be living and, and what we're supposed to be doing and the, the way to do this in the most excellent way imaginable. And then he says, he, 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 he completely moves our focus off of what we do. And he just really talks about why we do what we do. So the, the interesting part of this is that he isn't even detailing what to do at all. He goes through some very impressive things that we could do. Uh, he, he talks about some very spiritual, amazing sacrifices that one could make. I mean, just consider having enough faith to move mountains around. That's incredible. I've never seen that done. Uh, I, I, I imagine having, having the ability or the willingness to give away absolutely everything that you have to benefit the poor. That's incredible. You, you yourself become poor so that people who are poor are no longer poor. That's amazing. The, he crescendos, he builds, and he gets to the to last one. He says, you could be martyred for the cause of Christ. You could lose your life in standing firm in the name of Jesus. There is nothing more incredible, impressive than that. There's nothing. And yet he has the gall to say that that very act could, in fact, be worthless. Doing all that could actually not count in the credit of heaven one iota. And so it's interesting because he's he's explaining more why we do what we do than what we're supposed to be doing. So the still more excellent way has more to do with motivation and reason and purpose than it does action, activity, and even, dare I say, obedience. So what we do in obedience to Christ, why we do what we do, is even more important than what we actually do. And he goes as far as to say, if, if love isn't the fuel, if love isn't the motivation, if love isn't the reason, if love isn't the cause, then whatever we do is not even worth doing. It's really a sobering conversation. And uh, it, it, it will change the way that we approach Christianity if we let it. And I think it's meant to. And the, uh, the, the cause, the motivation, the fuel that he's talking about 
is love. Love is the thing that's meant to propel us. We read last week, let, lo- let, let everything you do be done in love. The, may the love of Christ compel us, control us. Let that be the motivation and the reason, the why behind the what. The downside that I see in using the word love to, to really describe what we're meant to do or why we're meant to do it, the, 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 the way that love is defined is so loosey-goosey, it's sort of this generic catch-all word that everyone has a definition for that's personal and probably a little watered down. So I think that's the downside, the unfortunate thing about using this idea of love as a point of reference to say this is the thing that's supposed to motivate us is because everyone's got sort of a watered-down version, uh, definition of what love is. So when someone says, let everything you do be done in love, our brains go to a lot of different things. Primarily feelings. Nothing more than feelings. The, the, the immortal words of the great band Boston, it's more than a feeling, guys. <laughs> Come on. Um, but there, there is uh, certainly feelings involved, but is love itself just a feeling, an emotion? Um, we use love a lot of different ways. We, we, we turn to our spouse or the person that we are with and say, I, I love you. And then in the same conversation, we might say, I love tacos. It's like, it's samesies? I don't, is that <laughs> really? Uh, it's, it's sort of a generic, very broad, catch-all word, and I think that's why, that's exactly why the Apostle Paul doesn't stop there. He starts to really unpack what love is. And he's like, just in case you're going to try your best to define it in a personal, your subjective uh, point of view, uh, this is how I define love. This is what love means to me. He's like, let's go ahead and set the standard. Let's go ahead and make sure that we all are on the same page. That's the continuation of 1 Corinthians 13. And I'm going to go there. This is verses 4 through 8. Just in case we need a further description of what he's talking about when he says love is the motivation, this is what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. Love doesn't brag. It's not arrogant. It doesn't act unbecomingly. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. It doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. It doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never, ever, ever fails. So, that is love. Love isn't just some little butterfly in the, in the belly. Love isn't just um, something that we write silly love songs about and, and it's just not some euphoric feeling that you have. It is something that is deeper. It is something that is extremely spiritual and extremely sacrificial. In fact, I could sum up 1 Corinthians by saying, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, with this statement, love is massively inconvenient. Love is completely outside of me. Before we, we walk through these adjectives, which I'd like to, um, let's back up to chapter 12, the lead-in. 
The lead-in is this. I want to show you still a more excellent way. Here is the more excellent way. The only thing that makes our efforts worthwhile is for everything that we do to be done with a motivation of a very specific type of love. The only thing that makes life worth living is a very specific type of love. The only thing that gives impact and resonance and in power and significance to what we do. Everybody wants to have a purposeful life. We all want our lives to count. Every single one of us wants our life to matter. Our presence on this planet to matter. And this is what gives purpose, significance, and meaning to everything that we do and say. A very specific type of love. Let's walk through these quickly. Love is patient. Now, I think, it's, I think it's probably common, and I don't know that we mean to do this, but when we read this description of what love is, we think of love as being this potent force and this powerful thing. And this, love is this amazing thing that, that controls us and carries us and, and de- determines what we think and how we talk and how we act. Love will make you silly. Love will make you goofy. It does me. It does for everyone. Love is a, a, it's a powerful thing. And then the Apostle Paul starts talking about very common, everyday, sort of unimpressive qualities. Love is patient. You just talked about being martyred. You just talked about giving everything away to the poor. He just talked about, he talked about faith to move mountains. Very big, powerful, impressive things. And he says, you know what, that's all nothing. Love is patient. It seems common, everyday. It seems simple. I think the majority of us would say, I'm patient, typically. Are you? To say love is patient, if you really sit down and think about that, you'll do that for three seconds and then you'll move on to something else. To ponder patience is irony because you don't have the patience to ponder whether or not you're patient. I, I, um, I used to love poetry, and I've always loved writing. Uh, I, I really get, fell in love with it in school. I just enjoyed writing, and that's probably the only part of my job as a minister that I feel any, uh, the least bit adept at. Everything else is way outside my wheelhouse. The only thing that naturally feels comfortable for me is writing the message, not preaching, delivering, none of that, writing it. I'm, 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 I'm good at that. And, and if I could just, if anybody wants to preach, I'll write for you and you preach. That's great with me. But uh, I, I, that's the only thing I'm naturally adept at, and I love it. And I used to write a lot of poetry. Most of it was so that I could talk to cheerleaders. But that, uh, other than that, uh, other than that, I really, I, I, I fell in love with it. And so I read poetry, which is a weird thing for a high school kid to do. And I really fell in love with Robert Frost and, and, and T.S. Eliot. And I, I, so anyway, I, I hadn't read just straight up read a lot of poetry, just here and there. So I, I got a bunch of poetry books, and um, I'm, I'm reading it again. And I don't know that I'll write again. I don't know. Who knows? But I'm enjoying it. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm remembering uh, me at 17, 18 years old reading these beautiful 
this beautiful prose and these beautiful pictures that are being painted in sitting and thinking and contemplating versus me today with all the distractions and I'm fighting the temptation to pick up my phone. And it's, an, it's a new temptation versus where I was. I didn't have that, temp, that same temptation at 18 years old because there was no such thing as an iPhone. Was I going to pick up the rotary? What was I going to do? I, I, just, I was more deliberate focused on what I was reading then more so than I am now. And we can blame a myriad of things, but the truth is it's just that the world almost doesn't want us to sit and be still and, and be patient. It's almost like there's, everything is working against us to do that or be that. So to say that love is patient as a quality, we are far less patient than probably we've ever been just because the world's hitting the fast forward button and it's very difficult to wait. It's very, if you've ever waited on a promotion or you waited on, you know, something, news, you wanted an update on something, you, you were waiting on your, uh, this movie that, you, that you're excited about seeing to come out and the waiting is like, oh, this is awful. But love is incredibly patient. Love is kind. Um, I'll just speak to myself through these, and if you can relate to me, then you're also human. Love is kind. I am sometimes, but I can be pretty temperamental. I'm kind when it benefits me. So is that kindness? Probably not. Love is not jealous. Um, I find myself playing the deservedness game. They don't deserve that. And that, to me, is proof that I'm jealous of someone who doesn't deserve it, getting something that someone who definitely deserves it didn't. Love is, it does not brag. Um, we live in a, cult, a culture that is addicted to virtue signaling. We can't do anything kind for anyone for, without snapping a selfie. If you help an old lady cross the street, you're going to snap a selfie with her. And she's going to be like, what's up? Making the duck mouth thing. (laughs) Love is not arrogant. Well, what that means is love is not obsessed with itself. We are. (laughs) We are completely uh, self-obsessed. Love doesn't act unbecomingly, uh, which would mean we're always considerate of others. Are we always considerate of others? We, we barely notice others. Love doesn't seek its own. We are typically completely selfish. Love is not provoked. I am short-fused. Uh, it doesn't take much. Love does not take into a wrong, a wrong suffered. We are natural-born scorekeepers. We're like elephants when it comes to wrongs done against us. We never, ever forget. Uh, love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. We have a weird obsession with controversy. What's the old Mark Twain quote? That a lie will circle the globe before the truth gets his boots on. Uh, we 
are captivated. We're more natural, it's more natural for us to believe something that is negative than something that is positive. It bears all things, which means it's willing to get involved. It's consistent, consistently present and willing to get involved. We are typically inconsistent and we avoid responsibility a lot. It believes all things. We are naturally skeptical. It hopes all things. We are perpetually anxious. It endures all things. We like the path of least resistance. And it never, ever fails. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news. We fail a lot. I'll personalize that. I fail professionally. I have a master's degree in failure. This is not describing me. And this is not describing how I love. I, my wife came with me last night to help me clean up after a wedding so that you could have church today and be seated comfortably. And so she came with me to mop floors and clean bathrooms. And, uh, and that is love. And my wife loves me incredibly well. And I love her more than I could ever, ever imagine or, or explain. But I'm embarrassed to say I don't love her like this. I would love to, but I don't. My love, compared to what's being described in 1 Corinthians 13, falls dramatically short. In fact, um, I think that's the point. I think that's the very point and, and reason behind this detailed list. We read it at weddings. Um, this is embarrassing, and, and don't read into this. It's a silly story. I'm, I apologize. But I used to tour with a Christian um, comedy troupe. That was my first foray into ministry. I traveled, and I toured. And we had, get this, we had... Uh, headshot pictures, uh, uh, like a picture of our, our group that we would autograph. And people would buy these stupid things. So somewhere out there, someone is, has a picture of me that they paid for and an, auto, an autograph on the picture, which is ridiculous. It's proof that Christians are silly. But everyone had, uh, they signed their little photo with the gold pen and uh, we had to go around and sign them all. And everyone on the team would put their favorite scripture. Guess what scripture I wrote next to my silly name? 1 Corinthians 13. Because I've always been the love guy. <laughs> Dr. Love. Uh, love has been my thing. Love is my drug. Uh, I've always been all about love. I used to write about love and... Love was always a focus, and when I, the first message I ever wrote down, which was, you know, years before I ever preached anything, but the first message I wrote in my notebook while I was traveling, guess what it was about? Love. My poetry that I would write, always about love. Love was always the focus, the, the agenda, the, the, and I used to pray under the stars, Lord, wherever my wife is. This is 16 years old. 
Let her know I love her. <laughs> You're laughing, but <laughs> it's deeply spiritual. Um, I, I study it. I've read, I've read more books about love than I have probably any other subject. And it's been a focus of mine. I, I buy it. When the Bible says that, that love's the motivation, love's the fuel, love's the reason, love, I, you, don't, you don't have to sell me on that. I'm in. Yes. The problem is, I feel like a movie critic. I can't make the movie, but I can surely talk about it. I can't love this way. On my best day, I can't do this. And I think that's the very reason that this scripture exists. It's sort of like the, 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 the command. Guys, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. And there's a lot of Christians around the world right now who are like, done. You got it. That, that command. And then it goes on. Love your neighbor as much as you love you. <laughs> People are like, mm. Thumbs up like, you wish. You wish. This, these are not challenges. This is not instructions. These aren't, these aren't checklists. This is a, an impossibility. This is a standard that we could never in a million years reach. In fact... Let me make a statement, and I think this is one of the greatest revelations we can have as we approach the Bible, as we approach a walk of faith and Christianity in general. This is one of the greatest revelations. This might be the perfect starting place. Anything that God asks us to do, anything that God asks us to be, is 100% absolutely impossible. Impossible. And some of you are like, I don't know if I agree with this guy's theology. I, you don't need to. It's a fact. Anything that the perfect God of the universe asks us to be is not a watered-down version of perfection. He's only going to ask us to be perfect. Jesus says it. Be perfect. And again, like love, we can kind of meddle with the definition, but he, he doesn't let us. Be perfect as my Father is perfect. Be perfect by God's standard of perfection, which is the standard of perfection in all of us. On our best day, our righteousness is, comparatively speaking, filthy rags. You can't. So when the Apostle Paul says, let everything you do be done in love, when he says, nothing that we do it matters unless you love like this, nothing we're ever going to do is going to matter. Because we can't love like this. Man, this is bad news. It is bad news. It is the bad news of us. And there are places all across this world that preach consistently the good news of us. And they are misleading us every day. The good news of us will only lead to heartbreak, despair, failure, misery. The gospel is not good good advice for the strong. It is good news for the weak. 
It is too good to be true. Thank God it's true news for the desperate. 1 Corinthians 13 does not describe our love for anybody. It describes God's love for us. And you know this by the Greek word that is used. The entire chapter uses one word for love, and there's several, but there's one word that is used over and over and over, and that word is agape. A-G-A-P-E. Agape. Which is unconditional, sacrificial love that only God can love with. God sent His Son to express and be and carry and shine and radiate the perfect love of heaven. And then Jesus stands before Peter, who is meant to carry on the cause of Christ and to be a champion for Jesus as Jesus leaves. And Jesus has a famous conversation with Peter after he denied, after he denied Christ. He has a famous conversation where he says, Peter, do you love me? The question is, go to the old language, do you agape me? Peter's response, yes, Lord, I, and then he uses the word phileo, you. Completely different words. Jesus gives him three tries and says, do you love me? Do you agape me? Peter's answer is the same every time. Phileo, which Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. It's, it's, a, it's a friendship. I like you a lot. Peter couldn't even love Jesus the way that Jesus was asking him to love him, but still yet Jesus made Peter a minister of the gospel. Because it wasn't about Peter's love for Jesus, it was about Jesus' love for Peter. That's the point. This is love. Not that we love him, but he loves us. That's the love we're talking about. The one-way love of heaven. The agape of Jesus Christ. And so here's the question. How in the world can we fulfill the great command, which is to love others as in the same way that Christ loves us? I'm so glad you asked. First, we have to recognize and realize that love is not a fruit of our labor. It is a fruit of the Spirit. Love agape, the kind of love described in 1 Corinthians 13, is not something that we can produce or manufacture. It is only from Christ. This is why 1 John 4 says it clearly. We love because He loves us first. Because we are first loved, we love. You can't give what you don't have. He gives us in order that we give. This is the description. It's throughout the New Testament. We see it over and over and over. We are vessels. Jesus' first miracle is a picture of human beings being vessels that he does a divine work within, a miraculous work within. He converts the water of the Word of God into the wine of something far beautiful, more beautiful, something that the world desires and craves. In fact, 
is exactly what we're talking about. I would say that the water to wine within the vessels in the first miracle at the wedding that Jesus does, even before his, own, his time begins, it beautifully reflects Galatians 5.6, which says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's the transformation that happens within the vessels that is then shared with the people around. Love is a fruit. Galatians, we just quoted Galatians 5.6. In that same chapter, Galatians 5, talks about the fruits of the Spirit. And as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. A lot of these are qualities that are also listed in 1 Corinthians 13. And a lot of theologians, historians believe that the fruits of the Spirit are all love, just different expressions of love. So in other words, it's all fruit. There's just different types of varieties of fruit. They're all apples. And we're saying love is a golden delicious, but it's also a Granny Smith. It's also a a Crunch and Munch. I don't know any more apple names. I don't, teacher's fave? I don't know any other apple names. Um, I know two. (laughs) Ruby Red? No, that's a grapefruit. Never mind. Don't worry about it. This is not what I'm, what I'm, what I'm called to do. Is, is I'm not a produce guy. So uh, th- this is all a variety of love. And so, but love is a fruit of the Spirit. And so what that means is, as we get this, abide in Him, we bear much fruit. Last week we we spoke from Ephesians. We are rooted and grounded in love. What happens if you're rooted and grounded in love? The fruit of love shows up. So when Galatians 5-6 says that faith expresses itself through love, it's important to understand that it is by faith that love shows up. Not by work. Not by effort. Not by reading books. Not by trying hard. It is by faith. Faith expresses itself through love. And so faith shows up at the party dressed as love for other people. Controversial statement. If our theology doesn't lead us to love people more, our theology is wrong. Because this is what faith does. We're meant to live and walk by faith. Faith will express itself through love. Now, I'm going to create a flow chart today. Faith produces Love, what produces faith? What is fueling faith as faith is fueling love and love fuels our efforts in what we do? Romans 10, 17. This is where faith comes from. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. What does that mean? Faith is fueled by the gospel. The gospel fuels faith. Faith fuels love. Love fuels everything that we do. Let everything you do be done in love. So how are we designed to function? How are we 
designed to live and carry out our life, live, breathe, and have our being? How are we meant to go out and be Christian human beings on this broken, fallen world? Fueled by the Gospel. The Gospel is meant to drive us, fuel us. I'll put it another way. We have roots of faith. And the roots of our faith go into the love of Christ. Be rooted and grounded in love. The roots of our faith go into the love of Christ. What waters the roots of our faith is the water of the Gospel. The water of the Word of God. See, I think a lot of people assume the Gospel is an idea or a message that we hear that is introductory. It's an explanation of what Christ has done, and we see it as a conversation, a message. It is a flat piece of paper, words on a paper. It is just there. Then we move into our efforts, our activities, our obedience, our checklists, uh, displaying righteousness, uh, prioritizing morality. And so our, our activities ourselves become the focus. So we move on to the message of what Christ has done, and then we move into a lifestyle of what I must do. So if you were going to talk about just the brain, just the, where, where we're putting our focus and our thoughts, the brain activity on in our Christian lives, what is the number one subject of that Christian life? We start thinking of the Christian life as being all about the life of the Christian. So I am the focus. I'm constantly thinking about my morality. I'm constantly thinking about my efforts, my obedience. I'm constantly thinking about me. But what does the Bible say? Hebrews chapter 12. Fix your eyes on Him. Consider Him. And it says He's the author And he is the finisher, the perfecter of your faith. You're not. He is. Who fulfills the faith? Who fulfills my life? Him or me? It's not me. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The Bible says in, 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 I think it's 1 Corinthians, it says that we are meant to behold Jesus. And as we behold Jesus, we are being transformed. Why are we not seeing transformation? Probably because we're looking in the wrong mirror. We're beholding me. And, and if it's up to me, if it's riding on me, I can say, okay, Chris, are you patient? I'm more patient than I was? Chris, are you kind? I'm kind more often than not. I can turn that dial a little bit, but I can't change me. Only Christ can transform me into being what he describes me to be. The gospel isn't a message or an idea that we hear. It's not something that we, we, we hear, understand, move on. It is the perpetual fuel. It doesn't just ignite our faith. It feeds the fire of our faith. It continually gives us the fuel to live life loved and loving. One more scripture, 
And we're going to wrap up here. For, this is Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 and, through 6. Same idea, same conversation, using different words. And this makes it pretty crystal clear what we need in our hearts and our lives continually. We give thanks to God. Gratitude, thanksgiving, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love with which you have for all the saints. Now, it's describing it's working. Pause there. The statement in Galatians 5, 6, faith expressing itself through love is working. It's working in this community. The Apostle Paul says, we're talking, we're talking together about your faith. We heard about it. We're talking about it. It's legendary. You're believing. And then it goes on to say what that's doing. You're, you're believing, so therefore, the love you have for everybody, all the saints. You're praying for people. You're, you're, you're faithful. You're, you're standing with them. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth. What is the word of truth? The gospel doesn't even leave it for interpretation. He just goes on and tells you the word of truth. What is that? The gospel, which has come to you. And that phrasing is, is it has arrived. It's the same way that uh, the Bible says uh, the law was given through Moses. Uh, grace and truth showed up, arrived in the person of Christ Jesus. It was personified by him. It's not a what, it's a who. That's the same word usage here. The, the gospel has shown up. It has arrived. It has come to you in the person of Christ. Just as in all the world, it is, it is also, it is always constantly bearing fruit and increasing. What is constantly bearing fruit and increasing? The gospel. The gospel is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it's been doing in you since the day you heard of it. And you understood the lights came on, the grace of God and truth, and that word truth there is in reality, in real life. You got it. There was a revelation, the veil was lifted, your heart was connected, and it came to life for you. But the thing that is constantly bearing fruit, it doesn't say you, it says the gospel in you. The love that we're called to love with is not a product of us. It is a product of Christ in us. It, the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done for us, the finished work of Jesus Christ, hearing that, being reminded of that, being fueled by that, causes love to continually show up on the branches of our life. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is now no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So that the love that I am called to love with is not a product of Chris Stapleton because Chris Stapleton was crucified. It is Christ in me. We are very acclimated to a natural existence because this is what we can touch, smell, feel. This is what we experience on a daily basis. This. And so we try to make it all make sense within this realm. And we, we start to assume that we are natural beings trying our best to have a supernatural spiritual uh, experience. 
the opposite is true. We are supernatural spiritual beings who are currently in this finite, limited amount of time having a natural human experience. And what the Bible describes as what we see and interact with here is shadows. The Bible says the substance belongs to Christ. That's the substance. I have way too many conversations with people who, who talk about their current experience as the reality and God as being some separate, far-off thought. This is reality, and then God's out there doing nothing. He is reality. This is a temporary, finite shadow of the eternal substance and reality and truth of who God is. This is why the Bible says, store your treasures in heaven. That is eternity. That is forever. This is now. Don't let your now become bigger than your eternity. Your now is this. Eternity is endless. May the God of the universe be bigger than the troubles that you face today. He is our source. Everything's from, through, and to Him. And we're meant to live in a bigger space, a wide open space than the box that this world puts us in. This world wants to categorize, minimize, trivialize everything. They take a person and they reduce them to the color of their skin, where they're born, what they do for a living, how they vote, and there it is. You're just a cog in the wheel and you're very insignificant. The whole conversation that we're having in talking about love is to consider this. How deeply must God know and love you to love you this much? He's he's created something that is so much more significant, something in you that is so much more significant than what the world tries to stamp you with. There's a great scripture that says, I didn't fence you in. You fenced yourself in. You're the one creating a small place for this wide open life. Jesus came to knock the fence down, to unleash us. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. The prison door is wide open. If you've ever rescued a pet and had them in a little carrier, a little, a little, uh, a little pen, you know that their crate is, is comfort. They want the small place. And so even if the door is open, they'll go hide in the small place. We do that. And Christ came to say, I, I've opened the door. You get a yard. You get, you get a farm. You get expansive territory. You are so much more than you think you are. And all that begins with this reality. For God so loved you. For God so loved you, everything is open and available to you. May we live fueled by that endless supply of the love and the grace of God. May we be free to truly be ourselves, not trying to meet the approval or standards of anybody around us, 
but to shine and radiate the love of Christ in every single thing that we do. We are meant for more. There is a new way to be human, and it is not the world's way. It is God's way, and he radiates his love through us like you could never imagine.